0: You're listening to audio from the Decidedly Podcast. For more information, find us on Instagram at Decidedly Podcast. You know, you obviously remember when I sold my business.
1: Yes, very, very vividly. Very vividly.
0: So I did a lot. It took me about five years of planning uh, in terms of setting up uh, different ownership structures, uh, stock accumulation plans, uh, buyout plans, uh, job descriptions, all the, all these types of things that I felt like I needed to have in place to do an effective sale of the, of the business. <laughs> do you remember just recently that the sandwich place over in the University of Plaza just decided? Oh my gosh. They
1: just said, oh, we're just shutting. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was so heart wrenching. There was this, I don't want to, I don't want to hate on him. So I'm not going to say the name. Yeah. It was probably my favorite bakery sandwich place in yeah. town. Yeah. Just little local bakery. It was place. little local. It was in a wonderful location. It was super convenient. It was always full. Always. Always had best, a best Best
0: cookies and baked. Make goods in town
1: best, one of the one of the best bakeries they also had sandwiches so yeah. you could go any time of day the thing with bakeries is you feel guilty going in because they don't sell other food you're like I'm not gonna go to the pastry shop at three o'clock on a Friday you know <laughs> I mean I've, I have but you don't want to you know so you could go anytime you could just about like I'm just gonna get a soup and then right. give me one of them cookies real quick yeah, right, and then you're right. good sure and it was universally beloved. Mm-hmm. Nobody had ever had a bad experience. And then we see on Facebook that the owner posts and says, Oh, Hey, you know, um, going to, you know, the raising rents in this area. And so we've made a hard decision, really tough. You know, we don't like doing it, but we're going to, we're going to close and we might be back one day.
0: Right. <laughs> which, which you and I talked about, we knew that was I never going to happen
1: time i said this place is gone forever yeah oh yeah yeah they're not gonna reopen We talked to people who are not business owners.
0: Right. They didn't see it that way.
1: And they were like, no, they'll reopen one day. No, they won't. No, they won't. No, they won't. They can't.
0: Because everybody knows them right there. So I I didn't understand why, if they wanted to get out of the business, why they didn't just sell the business.
1: I would have freaking bought the
0: business. I would have bought this business because it was packed every day. And if you didn't want to run the business, you could sell just the bakery or you could sell the recipes. Sell something. Or you could say, hey, we're going to open up the business and we're going to sell cookies to all the restaurants to go
1: orders normally i don't know something they just this woman had an astounding amount had to have had something that was so valuable
0: yes yeah
1: and just said yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was so
0: disappointing
1: it was so disappointing and i think that that plagues so many small business owners mm-hmm. you know i mean if you own a business that's doing a 100 million dollars in revenue you are going to that's, gonna sell that's it. different you know, you that's know different, what's up yeah. if you own a business that's doing 10 million in revenue i think that you know you at least have some friends she probably saw it
0: as just quitting her job yeah just, just
1: oh, i'm not doing this anymore yeah
0: and didn't recognize the value in that name and oh that location gosh. and she could have sold it to anybody and gotten Any, a little bit she could have got something
1: some thing yeah something That's but i'm ridiculous. sure you know hey we'll sell the ovens get rid of that stuff and then yeah you know then we're done and yeah. and and that was two years ago yeah and of and course they haven't reopened of course yeah. it's still not open right um and it never will and if it does it's gonna fail right because it won't be there you can't take a two week a two-year break from business come back and just in know different no. location everybody's go, gone eh, it's all good God. Yeah. I'm, that's so funny. I'm sorry to break that. that up. Just, I know it like makes me sad thinking about, <laughs> you know, but today on the episode, we talk about selling businesses and we talk to, um, one of the smartest guys on that topic that I know, Ray Scalfani. He's the founder and CEO of client wise. They provide elite coaching programs and consulting exclusively for people in our industry who are looking to sell their business. Uh, He spent 20 years at Alliance Bernstein as one of the company's top sales professionals and executive leaders. He's recognized as a professional certified coach from the International Coaching Federation, the lead independent professional association for coaches. He's been interviewed and quoted for the wall street journal, financial planning magazine and registered rep. Uh, He's got a new book that's out called you've been framed, how to reframe your wealth management business and renew client relationships. He, he obviously has an expertise in our industry, but his knowledge can be applied to any, any business. Any business. Any no. business. We hardly dig into our industry uh, at all. If I didn't say it, you might not even pick up on it in the podcast. Uh, we talked about business succession planning, transferring trust to new leadership uh, in that generational shift within a business, life to a- life after retirement or selling your business, and the importance of ongoing Personal development plans. Um, I learned a lot as a business owner. Uh, I know Sean had a lot of good takeaways as someone who's been through this monumental shift on his own. I know that it's going to be valuable for you. I'm Sanger Smith. As always, with my dad, Sean Smith, this is Decidedly. You have
0: been... Uh doing this work for a long time. You, when did you sell your business? Sanger and I were talking about that. Before
2: so, um, so I sold an equity stake, uh, of my firm three and a half years ago, but I'm still a major shareholder and I'm still okay. quite active in the day-to-day and, you know, running the firm and still coaching advisors, uh, today as much as I was three and a half years ago. And um,
0: what was the firm before you sold your, equity? Okay. I, I
2: founded client wise. So January of 06, I walked out of Alliance Bernstein after 20 years of uh, uh, successfully doing all kinds of roles, operations, uh, field sales as a wholesaler for a decade, and then spent time in uh, leadership uh, division, and then national uh, sales director, and then built some of the content around. Uh, founded the Advisor Institute for them, and really just loved, loved, loved coaching advisors. It was really my life's work.
0: What made you decide
2: to leave Lance Bernstein? Yeah, that's interesting. So, um, Mark DeBersion, who's a mentor yeah, of mine and a good friend, uh, Dan Sullivan at Strategic Coach, um, mm-hmm. who, uh, as um, as Dan says, I'm a slow learner with cash. Um, <laughs> I was in Strategic Coach for 17 years, and I just well, kept, really? I, I, yeah. So, and I'm I'm likely to go back uh, later yeah, this year. It's as a, well. I
0: tell you what, I have gotten so much from I, from his stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. He has got to be one of the legitimate, just genius, creative geniuses oh, genius. In, our, yeah. in our field. Just the volume and the quality of content that that Dan Sullivan puts out is just amazing.
2: Yeah, totally. Right. No, no doubt about it. And I met Dan in, uh, or early uh, in 1994. And uh, uh, long story short, Dan and Babs at Strategic Coach were uh-huh. so encouraging to me. Uh, Mark Tabersian was very encouraging to me. Um, this is going to sound maybe a little Pollyanna Sean and Sanger, um, but it 's interesting i um, i didn 't come from much uh, growing up. My family you know we were you know uh, divorced parents. My mom never worked a full time day in her life. I put myself through college and and when I found financial services, you know by the grace of God, I had stepped into this and Um, I was uh, rewarded uh, uh, financially and otherwise, uh, and being a witness to what advisors do and having great financial planners help me and my family and understanding the impact that financial advisors have. um, It just meant a lot to me more than the asset management. Not, not that the asset management business wasn't important, but there was a humanness uh, to financial services that I was a witness working with advisors that meant so much to me. And yet, In the belief that this is a noble profession, what I also noticed was that advisors who were making a difference in the lives of others were having this ripple effect in the industry um, uh, and a ripple effect with their clients and their community. But what they weren't doing was building, uh, from many of them, building enduring firms. So I kept hearing a lot about fiduciary and I kept hearing a lot about, you know, like, hey, uh, we'll be there for our clients. And then, you know, through disability, death, or desire to retire, like, well where do you go like what do the clients go and so i decided uh after a lot of conversations with mark and, and and dan that there was a need in the marketplace to scale and build a national uh potentially international coaching firm uh to fully focus on helping advisors build better businesses with purpose make them enduring develop next generation talent and so i set a course uh, in january of 06 to start not the Ray Sclafani company, but the client-wise company. And and an effort to, to do that, um, I felt it was important to uh, uh, produce enough value I figured it would take me about 10 years because I asked Mark, how long does it take an advisor to build an enduring firm to develop that next generation Mm -hmm. talent? It's seven to 10 years. So I said, okay, here's my plan. And I flew out to Seattle at the time and spent uh, a week with Mark's team. And we developed a strategic plan, which was, okay, seven to 10 years, more like 10, but seven to 10 years, I'm going to build and scale with enough value that there'll be an investor interested in our company. And sure enough, two years in, I had a media company coming to me saying, here's $10 million check. We love your data. We love your content. And I wasn't ready yet. I really needed to build something of great value so much. That I, I then continued to play through at year seven. Another different media company came to me and said, "Hey, we'd like to acquire your company," and that was the trigger for me to hire an investment banker. Uh, I hired Liz Nesvold from Silver Lane, um, and we began the process of looking at the marketplace and really trying to understand how to evaluate uh, that particular uh, uh, partner. And, and I really needed to find a partner that was uh, uh, in alignment with what we wanted. Uh, to do for the industry, but at the same time, find a partner that would give us the autonomy to make the kind of impact industry-wide that we really wanted to make uh, as a firm. And I was fortunate to be able to find that strategic partner.
0: So when you you talk with advisors, how, how many of the advisors you initially talk with have any sort of exit plan or clue about how they're going <laughs> to get out of their business yeah, when yeah. you talk? About- well,
2: you know, it's interesting how many advisors file the ADV with the SEC, uh, w- w- which has a succession, you know, strategy in there. And I often ask advisors, Hey, if, if, you know, pandemic, right. Taught everybody a lot of interesting lessons. If you had to pull the ripcord through disability or death, would that ADV SEC file work? Is the firm set up to sustain beyond you? And it is—it's uh, alarming. Nine out of ten will tell you, "Man, we need help." Yeah, uh, you know there there's still work to do. Uh, my next gen's a work in progress. The business is still highly dependent upon me. I'm still the primary rainmaker. Or I'm still the primary advisor. Or I've got a good next gen set of team members, but you know we you know they can't grow the business like I grew the business. Like so, right. there's still a lot of work to do.
1: What's unique in your opinion about working with advisors who are hoping to exit their business and and working with? maybe business owners in general who are hoping to exit their business?
2: You know, it's funny. I don't know much about anything other than financial advisors. I mean, I I hate to to say it. You know, I'm I'm good at saying where I'm an expert and I'm really, really good. But to be super duper honest, I mean, I've spent, you know, three decades working with advisors. I I, I suppose it's not terribly different. I mean, as a business owner myself, um, it's not terribly different. But uh, let me say... With a deep respect for what advisors do, I mean, the relationships mm-hmm. and the impact that advisors have in the lives of their clients, I think is so unique. I don't think there's another uh, profession that uh, is as um, connected to the client. I mean, think about it like doctors, what, what do they end up with ultimately uh, kind of a dead patient? Right. Um, you you look at the uh, accounting firms. You know. Uh, you look at the law firms. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know. You look at financial advisors, and you think about the ripple that they have mm-hmm. in the in these in these lives. So I think just financial services in general is uh, really unique because of that human connection, that planning, that multi generational impact kind of thing that might be really different. So it does take an amazing level of trust. Uh, And the transfers of that trust to partner with families multi-generationally, that's very different than a typical business that has an owner that's thinking thinking about exit, right? Because you're really transferring a great degree of trust to that next generation set set of team members to work with those families. And nobody wants to work with mommy and daddy's broker or insurance agent, right? So, mm-hmm. so it,
1: I, it may be the case so that it's not sink. entirely different on a fundamental or basic
2: level yeah, tax, I, right? Estate. Think, you know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. There's something unique about the non monetary compensation that we receive as advisors. Mm-hmm. You mentioned that earlier, I was rewarded financially and and otherwise. Yeah. I think about that all the time Yeah. as an advisor, like, man, I, you know, there's a lot of work here that I don't, care how much i'm getting paid for it 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 doesn't matter you couldn't pay me i would pay to have this feeling sometimes i think to myself yeah um and and one thing that's interesting as advisors is we spend a lot of time thinking about the financial future for our clients that's what we're focusing focusing on regardless of what our niche is what our specialty is um, what type of client we work with where in the market um, those clients are whether they're you know mass affluent clients or ultra high net worth clients. We're thinking about the future and getting them to think about the future. And if we had a client, even if we even if you're an advisor that doesn't work with business owners, if you had a client that did come in and say, "I'm a business owner,"
2: well, you're going to think about exit planning with them day one, right? <laughs> right. And, day, and we don't right. do it ourselves. Yeah, this is the uh, this is the classic uh, problem of the shoemaker in town whose kids are walking around with holes in their shoes. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a motivational driver for me starting my company and starting from the beginning with an exit strategy, uh, and being able to say to advisors, "Look, I'm not I'm not a solo coach. Uh, I, I'm I've got an ensemble." And I've gone through private equity and I, and I worked with bankers and I understand what an orderly transition is going to look like. And you know what? I hope client wise lasts well beyond me. In fact, that's the plan. That's what we're here doing.
0: The thing I always think about when I'm meeting with a a business owner is that we've got to have that exit plan in place because you know, this, this person's going to either die in place working or they're going to sell their business. They're not going to retire from their business. They're, they've got to sell that business. That, in many cases, is their largest single asset. Many times, as and it's it's our job to help them have a successful exit. I had a, somebody come in years ago uh, that came to us late. You know, he's like, "I sold my business and uh, need to talk to you." And I'm like, oh, this is, you know, I, I wish we had. Whoops, you'd know, come late. in you know, a few years yeah. ago. Yeah. So we could do it the right way from a tax standpoint, from business continuation, getting everything set up, you know, increase the value of that business, uh, you know, maybe there's ways we can transfer shares to a charity, uh, deduct that, pull money, you know, out of there for your, you know, have them buy it from the charity. There are ways that you can do this, tie revenue to bonus targets. There's all kinds of things we could have done, but he, he came in, you know, I've got this big fat check. And I'm like, Oh, okay. So we start mapping out, you know, how he was going to live on the check. And there was, there's plenty of money. It was fine. Um, until he started spending, right. He didn't tell me he wanted to buy a farm. Right. (laughs) And so he, he buys a farm and he goes, uh, you know, I need, you know, X amount of money to, you know, buy all this land and like, okay. And, uh, we had already sort of whittled it down for tax purposes, which he hadn't considered. Uh, so it shrunk by taxes, then it shrunk by the farm, and then soon thereafter there was two hundred thousand for irrigation and then wow. on this farm. And before you know it, you know it's whittled down to where everything has to go right for it to work. And then the market dropped, and he panicked and cashed out. You know, right at the bottom, and it was just heartbreaking. Um, because he hadn't, you know, all of this happened within a matter of 12 months.
2: So, you know, so that's an individual impact on a family, right? Let's think about the advisor business for a moment. You know, what happens to team members? What happens to clients? What happens to the promises that were made to clients? That's the stuff that keeps me up at night.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I spent, you know, I, I sold our business, uh, financial advisory business, uh, back in 2019 and started working on that probably in 2015 Mm -hmm. on, you know, in terms of how do I get equity share, uh, systems in place? How do I tie compensation? How do I bring in other owners? How do I set up operating agreements, bonus systems, you know, all of these types of things so that. When there was a transition, it was it was easier to do, and then made a point of staying on, and I'm, I'm still here in a uh, in a consulting capacity. But I think about it as sort of, you know, handing off the baton, and we use that. But there's there's a I, you know I ran track in high school, and I remember there's a lot more to handing off the baton. You've got <laughs> you, you put a mark on the track where when that runner crosses it with the baton, the other person takes off. So there's a point in time when we need, which is ahead of the handoff. And during that handoff, you get close and you, you say the word, that person reaches back and they grab it. There's a point where you're both holding on to it and you're both running together, but you're both holders that split second. And then there's that last second where that business owner, that runner lets go of that baton, but that's not where it ends either you're encouraging them, you're yelling for them, you're cheering them on, go, 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 you know, and you're, you're celebrating what's happening with that, with that runner. It doesn't, you just just hand it off and turn away. You never do. Right. And so I think about this business transaction is that it's not just selling your business. It is a, it's a transfer of not just capital, but trust as you, as you said, um, you know, we just, we just had somebody come in, uh, that did a $40 million exit, uh, last week. And it's exciting to see how that changes a family. And we began talking about here, all what are all the things that you've always wanted to do and you haven't yet done? What are the things you'd regret not having done? And and the the wife was there and and she was naming things and and she stopped me and she goes, this is what we've been needing to do for 10 years. (laughs) <laughs> this is really fun. <laughs> right, right, right. So, uh, but, so you know, it is, it is it, fun. it's funny, yeah.
2: Sean. We uh, we have a program at uh, ClientWise called Success in Succession. Okay. And it's a coaching program. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, one of the first areas that we ask advisors uh, to tar- start thinking about is uh, uh, what does life look like beyond the workplace? Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating. Um, when you do start asking advisors, hey, what's next? What, what what's your next ambition? Um, what, what's next on your roadmap? What do you imagine achieving or accomplishing? Or where where's the next impact you want to have? There's an old uh, quote. Uh, I think it was David Foster said, "Everything I've ever let go of has claw marks on it." The advisors that hold on <laughs> tightly. Yeah to these yeah, businesses, okay. right. They, they, they've got <laughs> claw marks on them. And by the way, when you say that to the next See generation, right. That They go, Oh yeah, he won't let go of those clients. He won't let go of those advisors. He won't, you know, and, and, and so anyway, long story short, I think it's important to start imagining a future, uh, beyond, uh, uh what, what, advisors are currently doing let's start imagining what that looks like and by the way concurrently let's grab the next gen and let's ask them to start imagining like what would you do different if you were running the firm today and what is it going to look like you know when when you are a controlling owner and uh and so when you concurrently work with uh, controlling owners and founders Um, And you're also working with the next generation uh, leaders and owners, and they're, they're working collaboratively along a path. Uh, It's, it's, I think it's akin to what you're describing with that gentle handoff, you know, where, where you're both running down the track and the baton hasn't gotten handed off yet we think of success and succession as as really that beautiful period of time where there is that gentle handoff that's taking place but there's a lot of work that has to get done in order for that to occur smoothly and smartly
1: to yeah. extend on that analogy you know you you hand off the baton you've got to keep running for a little bit after the baton is gone you right. can't just stop
2: no that you, you try to stop on well.
1: a dime you know you're going to yeah tear your acl and (laughs) (laughs) you got to keep jogging for a little bit and and i think that that's i guess that's the part of the analogy that is having the personal plan after you've you've left and and i guess we kind of whether or not you're a business owner you know when there's a big transition so for a business owner it's a i sold my business and then what do i do next for, for most people who are not a business owner, they can relate to that and say, well, I've, I've retired from my job. I've retired from working. What's next? And, and what we know as advisors is the people that, that don't have a what's next are sicker. They don't live as long. They're less happy. Yep. Uh, the, the, everything is worse for those people because they don't have a purpose in life. And it, if it was so easy to pick out what was next, everyone would do it. Like when we say the idea of we've got to come up with what's next, we've got to come up with the personal plan. Um, nobody disagrees. I, and I would imagine when you talk to advisors, nobody thinks you're wrong in suggesting that, but what's missing between the people that do it and the people that
2: don't do it. Uh, yeah, that's great. um, uh, most, uh, don't invest the time to do the work, to really think through it. Um, And it's much easier uh, to play through. Uh, In fact, there was a once a time I thought we should all go long on oxygen tanks because all the advisors (laughs) were going to die at their desks. Um, But the truth of the matter is um, advisors deeply care about the client. So, you know, Sanger, there's, there's, um, you know, I I think about it in two ways. There are the heartstrings and the purse strings, you know, it's the, the, if, if you do it right, the exit value, uh, is extraordinary. I mean, we're seeing multiple expansion with all the M and a activity and what's happening in the marketplace. It's pretty extraordinary. Sean, you sold out early. I mean, you think about the multiples today compared yeah, to where well, they were two and three and four years ago, right? Rub it um, in. Yeah, rub it yeah. In. yeah thanks, thanks for rubbing that in. Right? <laughs> sorry, uh, yeah. sorry about just that. Kidding. Just hey, the facts, man. Just the facts. Sanger's uh, very I'm, happy I'm, about that. I'm though. thrilled, man. Right? Okay. So, so, but, but think about that. Yeah, but there, there's an exit value when you do it right. You know, you you reap the financial reward, but but there's the that's the purse strings. It's the heart strings. Sanger, back to your answer your question. Sure. I don't think it's so much about um, anything more than helping the clients think about who will care for the clients in their absence. And, you know, Sean, I, I got to think the, the great business that you've built, you're comforted in knowing who's caring for those clients and, and the heirs of those clients uh, now that you're not the primary advisor. And there's something to be said, like when you really connect to the purpose-driven business that b- behind every great advisor is a set of clients that have an enormous level of trust uh, in her or him. And when you you can help an advisor understand that impact should have a multi-generational effect, uh, it makes it a lot easier for advisors to, uh, to to take those steps.
0: You know, the biggest fear... A, a business owner, you know, financial advisor business owner has when they hand off a relationship or sell their business, is that their clients are going to be upset. You know, that, that their clients can be upset with them. The the second biggest fear is that the clients won't be. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
0: You know, yeah. it's because it, it is an emotional separation. It's not just a financial transaction. It's, you know, you, you, you've known these people, you see them, you, you talk about very important, uh, meaningful things that they don't talk to anybody else with, uh, or about, and, uh, and then you, then you are not seeing them as often. You know, because you, you don't have social connections with everybody. Right, right. But it's, uh, there's this sense of loss. There's this grieving of yeah. these relationships. No, that's right. Yeah. Um, that's that's okay. natural, I think, you know, and, and thank goodness I'm, I'm able to sort of still be involved and uh, see, you know, Sanger, you know, take the baton uh, and, and continue those relationships. And in many cases, you know, improve on the work that we'd started doing.
1: When, when you meet with somebody, Ray how do you get the, how do you get the ball rolling? Cause it seems like there's so much, it, there, there's a lot of things that I wrestle with. You know, I I deal with this on the, um, with other business owners. So not with financial advisors, but I imagine it's it's similar in this respect that people may come with a, a misunderstanding of what exit planning is and say, hey, I've got to come think, start thinking about exit planning once I'm kind of sick of doing this. Yeah. You know, or once I'm financially ready to retire, once I'm old enough. Um, And one thing I've learned through doing that work is you can, you can really start, you can't start too soon on exit planning. Right. Um, Right. But but what's the first step that you take in, in preparing someone for that moment?
2: Yeah. So it's interesting. Uh, Our firm, um, our firm uh, uh, coaches, uh, advisors, um, not just in succession and succeeding in succession. Uh, We also help advisors uh, think about how to grow their businesses with intention, how to scale effectively, how to plan more strategically, uh, how to expand their team and their team development, how to merge or acquire. Um, At the core, uh, we generally align pretty well with advisors who are committed to building an enduring firm. And so Sanger, where do we begin? Uh, we begin with better understanding what their vision is for what endurance looks like, what they want. Uh, I generally ask uh, uh, three questions of advisors that gets to the meat of the matter pretty quickly. And our team at ClientWise uh, uh, have learned over the years this process works pretty well. It's sort of like, hey, what do you want uh, for an exit value? Um, and it's usually tranches along the way. It's usually, you know, liquidations, you know, in smaller tranches along the way, but the sum total, like, what do you want as an exit value? Number two, uh, how do you want your clients cared for when you're no longer the advisor, which means to whom do you plan on selling the business? Right. And then the third question is, let's talk about time. What Mm -hmm. is the time to exit? Um, like if you could, plan it brilliantly, not too dissimilar to what an advisor does with, you know, his or her clients, you know, where you're thinking about, Hey, um, and I don't think about as retirement, by the way, retire means to put down. Sure. It's more about a transition. So if you're going to transition into the next season of your life, um, uh, what is that? What, what timing would that look like? And it's interesting. Most advisors, Uh, Have an idea in their mind when they might want to slow down, you know, uh, and it doesn't have to be an all or nothing. I mean, look at Sean, you're still in the business, helping the business succeed in a new and different way. Um, Just doesn't mean you're a controlling owner. So what's the time to exit where you're no longer a controlling owner. So when you're clear about what (coughs) they're looking for financially and how they want to uh, care for the client and what the time to exit is, okay, now we can begin co-creating what a plan looks like. Maybe we need to develop a team. Maybe we need to uh, help the next generation uh, become better leaders. Uh, maybe we need to uh, grow the firm. Uh, maybe we need to start putting some benchmarks in, you know, what are we spending uh, on the p as it relates to operating expenses and professional staff expenses? What's our EBITDA target? Uh, do you have one? You know, all of a sudden now we get into a real business coaching conversation because we're clear about some of the guideposts or the mile markers, uh, that the advisor is hoping to achieve. And I think that's what, that's what you guys do so well with clients, right? Especially the business owners, you're helping them think through, uh, and, and we, we, we say it client wise, you know, we help, we help advisors get really clear. Okay. What do we want the future to look like? You know, um, get clear, um, and, and then we got to get a plan, uh, and, and so that we can get kind of the results and the outcome that we want. Uh, and so uh, we begin with those three questions that generally helps.
1: The, the one thing that's sticking out to me is that, you know, what do we want on exit value? And, you know, I think of that as the, the wealth gap, like, what do you need to be able to do what you want to do after you've sold your business? And what do you have now? You know, so maybe your business, you sell your business today, it's worth $10, 10000000 million and you're going to need fifteen. Um, how do we, how do we get there? Um, and I would be interested because I've never worked with a financial advisor. Um, I would be interested to know how many of them neglect their own planning in that way.
2: Yeah. Um, a larger percentage uh, then you might imagine, uh, yeah. or maybe not, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's interesting though. Well, you might, are, uh,
1: someone might imagine that it would be 100% of them all the time do the right thing financially for themselves.
2: Yeah. I think most, most are really good stewards of their wealth, mm-hmm. but they may not have a plan. It's sort of like, Hey, I yeah. know I'm okay. You know, I am going to have plenty of money. Uh, I got this great business. Um, but there's a sense of financial security and financial confidence, sometimes not even about the advisor, but about their family. You know, uh, you ever had you ever sat down with uh, w- with a family, and you know, a dad's a corporate executive or mom's a corporate executive. They're making a ton of dough. They live in a great house. Everybody knows everything's okay. Mm, but then when you put it on paper and you lay it out, they're like, "Now I feel really confident we have a plan." I would yeah. say most advisors are in a great financial situation. Uh, at least the ones we're typically working with, we're working. Sure. With- higher performers, you know, uh, uh, ambitious professionals that are successful. Um, we, we just signed, um, a relationship with Barons um, uh, that does the rankings for advisors right. and, uh, to be their exclusive coaching provider. So oh, we're, congratulations. we're yeah, thanks very much. So mm-hmm. we've been working with Barons for 15 years, helping them build agendas, uh, speaking at conferences, and they invited us to be a, a strategic partner as their exclusive coaching partner. And so Sanger, we're working typically with advisors that are pretty successful. Um, mm-hmm, and, and sure. they're, you know, they've, they've done a nice job at growing a business. Uh, the transferable nature of that business is usually what's in question. Um, and, and a sense of confidence about what that plan looks like and the impact financially that, that it'll mean for them. Uh, I have noticed even in during the pandemic, how many advisors have raised a hand and said, you know, I'm good. Uh, I need to really start working on this succession uh, and we got to really develop this next gen. How, how do we jumpstart that? You know,
1: Sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. I would imagine that most of the, most of the people that you're talking with are not, not making terrible financial choices, obviously uh, by trade, they're, they're coaching yeah. people to make great choices. Um, but th- that's one of the little quirks about financial advisors. You know, I remember when I started, I just assumed anybody who's a pretty decent financial advisor, they're making um they're making good financial decisions for themselves. Right. I, why, how could you not? Right. Uh, and then I realized I've seen fat doctors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right. It, right. It's really, it's not that they, it's not that we as advisors know something that the client doesn't know. Um, it's that we are able to be objective and, and be able, we are able to, we, we have the skill in guiding them. Uh, in the way that you have the skill in guiding an advisor through that succession process, they don't, don't necessarily know anything. They don't know.
2: No. And I, and I say to advisors all the time, don't, don't be your own advisor. Uh, Go find an advisor that you admire and go through their process and, and, and be, be a client of another, Mm -hmm. by the way, I think uh, you didn't ask this question, but I'll, I'll offer it up. I, I'm amazed how many team members haven't eaten uh, what the restaurant's serving. Yeah. Uh, That's a shocker to me. Uh, um, uh, You know, oh, you know, we don't want to, we want to keep things kind of confidential. Hold on a second. Time out. You know, you make a living as a a financial planner having impact in your community and the lives of your clients. Man, if your team members aren't doing a plan, And if their compensation isn't ticked and tied right back to what their long-term strategy is, I mean, there's no better way to retain top talent than to have a plan and to tie, you know, the, the, the nature of the work, nature of the workplace, the compensation, right to uh, what the, what the employee is hoping to achieve. So my, my big encouragement is get your team members to go through the process too. You know, I I
0: think that's good advice. Once you've asked the, uh, business owner, in this case, a financial advisor. These these questions about, uh, you know, what what they want for the exit value, you know, how they want to handle the client transitions, what kind of time frame. What are you doing then? Like, where are you taking them? Because th- those are those are good starting point. Yep. Visionary questions. What do you start working on from that point?
2: Yeah, that's good. So, so that's where we start building, uh, building what the, what the plan looks like. Um, and, uh, and it's about some advisors that need to get exposed uh, by meeting other advisors kind of going through something similar. I, I noticed that, uh, you know, one of the benefits of getting to conferences, you get to interact with other professionals and, you know, kind of sharing ideas and, you know, I call it uh, wisdom and warts, you know, um, and, and by doing so you'll learn a lot from others. So some of it might be helping them, uh, plug into one of our business builder Academy groups where they can meet other advisors, kind of working on what they're working on. Uh, some of it is, uh, defining very, very specific coaching objectives and key results. We're, we're big advocates of John Doerr. Uh, in his book, Measure What Matters, uh, the whole OKR methodology. You guys have probably heard of like, you know, MBOs, management by objectives and KPIs, key performance indicators. Mm -hmm. Right, right. We're a big OKR shop. So we believe, okay, strategically, what are the key objectives? What are we really trying to achieve? And how will we measure results? So with each of our clients... Uh, Who are advisors that we're coaching? We want to have a set of coaching objectives uh, that we're really clear about that tick and tie back to the answers to those three questions. Are
0: you you talking Uh, about benchmarks uh, for the business or in terms of uh, steps they need to take, things they need to have in place?
2: Yeah, all of that. Yeah. Or or, or a combination of the two? Yes, a combination of the two. We'll do a gap analysis uh, on their practice. Uh, uh, we get them to run through about hundred, 120 questions and produce about a 50 page report. And we quintile rank them in seven key areas of their business. And then from there, we can start defining coaching objectives. You know, m- most advisors want to, you know, add water and man, we can do this in 90 days. Right. Well, you guys know it takes longer than, mm-hmm. you know, 90 days. It, there's a multi-year strategy and you're never done growing and developing sure. and, you know, so, so we're, we're looking to make an impact, um, uh, uh, quickly as possible. We're a coaching organization. So there's a partnership with, uh, the advisors and we're asking them to prioritize and work with us. So gently, we will often push back and help them think about uh, the priority of what they want to focus on first and second, but without measurables, without, without real key uh, results uh, that we can measure together, um, uh, then we haven't really built a good coaching strategy.
0: Are you finding that a lot of these gaps are falling into similar categories? And if so, what, what is that? Oh yeah, that that you're having to work on most often.
2: Yeah, so um, so it's interesting. The uh, financial advisors are really good with clients, and they're good technical uh, uh, at the nature of the work. You know, running portfolios, building plans, understanding estate and tax and trust. Right. They're good with people, especially their clients not all of them are great business owners. So Sean, you talk about benchmarks you know what are the financial benchmarks let's dance around that p l uh, what are what are our you know what are our chart of accounts look like and how are we running uh, the business? Um, how are we developing people on the team? how are we attracting talent? So we generally uh, look at seven uh, areas uh, of their business. Uh, How are they organizing their priorities? Like what's their plan? Is their business plan kind of a negotiated lie with their team or do they have a real plan for growing the business? Business is either growing or it's dying. It never stays the same. So we want a good set of organizing priorities. We want a client engagement strategy that's profitable. Um, Businesses that are growing in the mid-teens plus they got to restack about every six months. So what's your segmentation strategy? Um, you know, How are you uh, defining the segments? What's your service model per segment? So revenue per professional, revenue per staff, um, uh, what's the cost of delivery? Uh, and we're seeing margins compress, so you better be paying attention to those operating expenses. Client acquisition strategies and marketing uh, go hand in hand, but they're different. Uh, Developing team members always shows up at the top of the list, uh, and as does uh, 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 really the business and the operations of it all. Sort of like making sure you get the right people in place to run the different parts of the operation, whether it's technology, uh, human capital, operations compliance, um, or finance.
0: Yeah. Do you find that some of that's harder for business owners to work on than others? I mean, that's that's a well-rounded, I mean, that, that, that's a list of things that I would expect. I mean, you've got to yeah. build your team, you've got to work on the metrics, you've got to, you know, all of those types of things. I find the, the most difficult for most business owners. I'm in a, in a few business groups that, and we talk with other business owners. I find that one thing that comes up a lot, is, is the human element, right? I mean, it, very rarely are people talking about, you know, how do I drive profits or how do I reduce expenses or, you know, this marketing initiative or yeah, it's, you know, it's facility leadership, space, leadership it's, it's leadership issues. Yeah. It's, it's continually, and we've got this guy on our team. And I don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, we're having issues with this, this person or that person. Yeah. It's that it's, it's leadership. Do you, do you find that there's energy around business owners to continue to work on developing themselves, their team in that area? Oh, yeah. when they yeah. see the, the goal line approaching that when they get cl- they're getting close to handing off that baton how do you motivate them to still work on probably what is the most critical area yeah
2: we look, we're we yeah we're we're not much of a motivating uh we're not we're not uh we don't mind cheerleading for our clients but that's yeah, <laughs> yeah that's uh, we, we uh, self starters is we generally work with self starters no but there's a lot of energy around this um and you know we use a simple four box structure uh okay. in helping evaluate talent um and and it's uh you know sort of in the role assigned uh performance wise you know, you know, we ask uh, uh, advisors to sort of rate the the performance of team members, um, and that's kind what of are a, the, hor- what are the four boxes. Uh, yeah, so uh, so horizontally, scale of one to ten. You know, how would you rate uh, the performance uh, in the role assigned for each of your team okay. members? And then, uh, a vertically scale of one to ten. Uh, what's the level of coachability? Uh, of each of the team members, you know, are they curious, uh, are they collaborative? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you know, do they, do they seek feedback, uh, and guidance from others? Are they, you know, open to feedback and advice scale of one to 10. And so if you draw a grid, uh, yeah. to, you know, in, in, four be boxes, in the top
0: right-hand corner,
2: right? <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Are you, are you a high performer and highly coachable? How many of our team members fall into that? Uh, how many are maybe not performing at their highest level in the role assigned, but they're highly coachable. Mm -hmm. Uh, how many are high performers, but not coachable question box. What do we do with these folks? Um, and then the X box, low coachable, uh, low job performers. Um, so, so there's three truths. There's my truth. Uh, there's the employee's truth. And then there's like like the real truth. And what's really key is to create a sense of interdependence and total team leadership among the team so that each member of the team is also offering up, hey, uh, honest to self-assessment, here's where I think I am on job performance. Here's where I think I am in terms of coachability. Well, that's one data point the financial advisor or the controlling owner or the supervisor man they have a perspective as well and it, and if you've got a good structure where somebody's really coachable well they're interested in somebody else's feedback and yeah. now it gets down to is there a written professional development plan in place for every employee on the team so that we're mm. forward looking, we're, we're, we're evaluating where we are today and saying, okay, how can we improve uh, as a performer? How can we improve, uh, in, in the role assigned? What does their career path look like moving forward? So that's the, that's the forward looking professional development aspect. And then there's gotta be a regular cadence, whether it's weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, quarterly, or all the above. Hey, job performance, how are we measuring success? Sean, where, where, where people, where the advisors trip up is they don't have written job descriptions. They, they don't have a performance management uh, structure in place. They don't have agreements about how feedback uh, is provided to the employee or where the employee has an opportunity to, to voice how they think they're performing and match those up, or the compensation isn't aligned up. So, it's not about motivating advisors <laughs> to think that way. It's about helping them put structures in place to make it easy. So I, that I really love the four
1: box system. Um, oh, yeah. we do something that's similar to that. We yeah, do what performance are you guys- and culture. Okay. Sure and, sure. and we've only been doing it for, for, I, I want to say a couple of years. Yeah. Um, we've done at least two annual reviews with it and, and I love it. Um, I'm not sure everybody always loves going through it with us. Uh, <laughs> but well,
0: we, we had a it, situation where, where, you know, I would go through and uh, ask people to write themselves. And then I would share with them how we had rated them. And uh, sometimes when those are divergent, there there's a hard conversation, but uh, yeah, but it's a, it's a good, it's a really good tool. I mean, you it, keep, keep talking about saying.
1: So it, it I, I really like that. And I, I, I hear a lot of what you're saying, you know, job descriptions. Um, we we've worked really recently to get individual role mission statements for everybody on the team. Uh, they're not, it's not Ray's mission statement. It's, it's the mission statement for your role that you're in. Um, and I can't build. I can't just make that up for you because I, I don't even know what your role is uh, as well as you do. Right. Um, but I always feel like we you know, there's always a next level to go to. There's always a next level to go to, uh, to be the highest performing team that we can be. Um, I, I really like the idea of a,
2: a development plan that, that's ongoing. Yeah, you've got to have some structure in place where it isn't a one and done, but there's an evolution of the mm-hmm. professional. Um, I encourage advisors, think about each of your employees. If you're really thinking about uh, succeeding long-term and building an enduring firm, then you've got to hire for enterprise value and develop people uh, and see them in your future company in a role that they may or may not be in today. And Mm -hmm. the employee has to have an opportunity to imagine what that future looks like and aspire To staying in the same role, but getting better or aspiring to maybe a new role. You know, if you're a service advisor today, what does it look like to grow into a lead advisor role? What parts of the lead advisor role do you like or don't like, you know, shadow one of our lead advisors, you know, see what you think, service advisor. Oh, you don't like hunting in the jungle, you know, rainmaking, you know, that, that that's tough, but you're really good with clients and finding opportunities to further help families. Okay. That's like zoo hunting. That's easier. Okay. So maybe that's like a fit for you in our future company. Uh, maybe you really love insurance or you like operations or you want to become a chief market marketing, uh, lead for our company, like businesses that are growing, need talent and need talent development and need people to matriculate and grow as professionals. And when a culture, uh, internally, the Japanese call this Kaizen, uh, the constant mm-hmm. state of constant improvement. improvement. Yeah. So when we've got that kind of Kaizen culture, then people get it like, oh, this is how I level up. Um, I, I often think we're living in a video game these days. Think about, think about the video game, right? It's all about finding mm-hmm. the Easter egg. It's all about leveling up. It's all about accumulation of points. Like, Think, think about your company, like a gamification model. How do I level up in this company? How, how do I how do I level up and acquire new skills uh, so I can be more valuable to others? You know, how do I advance my career? What's the opportunity look like? I think if advisors continue to spend as much time caring for clients uh, and and caring for their team, uh, their teams will be in better position in the future to continue to care for clients.
0: Well, I would think you know when you're looking at that grid that you talked about, which I, I like, I, you know, it's it, it is similar to what Sanger was talking about so that that we're using. And I find that it's it's easier to have someone sort of accept how we're going to work around improvement on the performance scale. You know, you're going to do more. You're going to work longer. You're going to harder. You know, know, those those are easy to sort of define, and people can recognize that. I I find that the the culture in our case, the the culture alignment, uh, or in, in your case, the coachability uh, part of the grid, how are you helping people work through improvement on the coachability? Because I, I, I find that in some cases, people don't recognize that they're not coachable, right? We've got to get past that point. Uh, the worst coachable people don't even recognize that they're not coachable. And so you've got to, you've got to work through that. How are you, how are you helping work through that part of it?
2: Yeah. I, it, there's an emotional intelligence, uh, uh, framework, um that when you think about like the number one skill of emotional intelligence is self awareness and the second skill of emotional intelligence is awareness of others and when we can help uh advisors and help their team members understand culturally uh internally on the team like what does it mean to be a continuous learner at clientwise we call it a journey learner and uh, there's a journey uh, that one takes in believing like there's always something to learn um, and uh, learn about themselves, learn about others. It, it starts Sean with the hiring strategy. You know, are you hiring people that are innately curious about themselves and about the world around them? Um, and so hi- the hiring strategy, you you can test for coachability uh, early on in the process. And there are lots of good tools and instruments uh, that you can use to, uh, suss out someone's, uh, curiosity. Listen, I, 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 like asking people, Hey, what were the last three books you read? Um, what was the last, you know, class you took? Um, you know, what's one thing you're still learning and curious about as it relates to your current role? Um, you know, think about a mistake you recently made. Uh, what'd you learn from that? You know, in your last client review, what could you have done better? You know, we start asking really powerful coaching questions, Um, You start figuring out whether or not folks are innately curious Um, and all behavior uh, is truth and all behaviors learned, which means uh, uh, behavior can be unlearned. And uh, and it's about sometimes shifting belief systems and belief structures and really co-creating a plan for the future uh, with team members and those that want to engage in that um those will be highly coachable those that are like hey man listen it's a job i'm coming in i'm going to high perform my job i'm going to make a difference uh, in the role assigned uh, and that's all I'm going to do. Well, advisors, uh, got to recognize that not everybody maybe wants to play in that high coachable uh, space and it's okay. to have a bunch of high performers that are getting their job done too. So, you know, yeah. it isn't an all or nothing. It's just, Hey, I'm, where do those people see the
1: company? I'm you know? so glad you said that Ray, because that's so important. I've talked to a lot of advisors who obviously my role is, uh, not to speak with other advisors about their business, but I've really, you know, just, I've got friends in the industry and, and it's like everybody wants to hire the the hunter right everybody wants to find that next big guy who will be the rainmaker in the future and most people aren't that guy okay so a lot of advisors get frustrated and they're like i don't know that i don't know that the guy that i hired is going to be the rainmaker guy uh, so let's get him out of here well okay you know most people aren't in the in the industry aren't that guy so you think he can't have a role on your team at all
2: yeah you know it's funny i uh, we we have a client um uh very successful firm and uh, it's owned by uh, a really successful uh, two professionals one one's a male one's a female they're not married they just happen to be co-owners of this business 50-50 super successful firm um and What's fascinating is they have figured out that neither of them are those uh, hunters, uh, you know that you're describing, and because they knew that wasn't a strength of theirs, they they built and organized a team of professionals that are great marketers, and they institutionalized the business development strategy for their firm and started focusing in on working in smaller communities, smaller towns. This is crazy strategy, but they, but they started collecting data and using public information and data to determine where wealth pockets were in relatively small and undersized, underserved communities around the nation. And they've become extraordinarily successful. And as a result, I know we're maybe a little bit detour from the coaching conversation, but Sanger, right to what you're describing I think when you approach the business and recognize, hey, look, we got to grow this thing. If we're going to build something of any enterprise value, we have got to increase the value of the firm. We have to grow it and we have to grow it profitably. And the old structures of like bet a bunch on a hunch, smile and dial, you know, knock on a bunch of doors and traditional solo Mm -hmm. practice, solo rainmaking, man, I'll tell you, I'm seeing more and more successful businesses institutionalize their brand, institutionalize the way with which they acquire clients, um, and institutionalize how they serve clients. So moving away from that solo structure and more to that team model, uh, more that ensemble approach, man, I'll tell you, that's the future. And the most creative and young professionals entering this business, I mean, they like to go together. They like They like working on teams and creating that structure. It might be a whole new strategy for scaling and growing a business than it might've been 30 years ago. And I think this new generation of professionals are figuring out, There's way different ways to grow the business than the way, you know, the previous broker or advisor might have done so.
0: Oh, there's way different. I mean, when I started, you know, I started training in late 89, uh, you know, and it was barely an industry or a business at that point. But, you know, the way that we brought clients on was... You know, we were the people that called at dinner, you know, and, and got yeah. you on the phone and, you know, came out and sat at the kitchen table and, you know, good Lord, nobody does, thank goodness, nobody does that anymore. Uh, you know, you can't do that anymore. You can't. And, and so you've got to look at different ways to build, you know, a business. Totally. Right. And I think so many times business owners are not open to, here's, here, here's a way that it can be done now. It doesn't have to be done the way you did it, uh, you know. With with new strategies, new people, the way people interact, and social media, and all that stuff, you, you've got to be evolving and thinking. You know how do we how do we grow this business in a new and fresh way? And sometimes that, you know, that involves bringing somebody on, as you said, who, you know, who can do the marketing in a way different than your skill set allows. Right. And bring that in. So I think that's good advice, right? Ray. Hey, uh, Ray, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us. You know, oh my gosh, I, I've enjoyed I, I've it. it has been a lot of fun. Yeah. I'm always fascinated with, you know, looking at business owners and, and how they scale up their business, how they transfer that value in that business. And there's only so much we can learn from uh, from guys that are sort of hip deep in the business, doing it the way you're doing it. So I appreciate you uh, taking time to talk with us.
2: Awesome, my pleasure, my honor. Thanks so much, Ray. I tell people where they can find you. Go to ClientWise.com. Probably the easiest uh, thing to do, but most importantly, check out the community group. We've we've built uh, one of the largest, if not the largest, uh, community. Mm-hmm financial professionals, financial advisors specifically that have access to, co- to co- connect with one another, get access to some content. So check out clientwise.com and hit the button up that says community and join our community. We're happy to have you. Thank and you on. so much, Ray. All right. You got it. Thanks, Thanks everybody. So,
0: You know, my, my takeaway from our discussion with Ray, who's really become a good friend because I see him at conferences throughout the year and he's just he's just brilliant at what he does. But my takeaway is really around how do you create significance beyond the sale of your, your business? And so, you know, kind of dealing with that personally and how do you make decisions to create significance in your life once you're sort of not the person in charge? And that, that really resonated with me.
1: My biggest takeaway is that owning a business is like dating you know you're either gonna break up or get married Mm -hmm. and uh when you own a business you're either gonna die or you're gonna sell your business uh and i don't think that i don't think most of us want to die owning our businesses uh but most of us don't have secession plans so reframing it in that way that ray did was uh is helpful and motivating to to get a secession plan in place You just made a great decision to listen to this episode of decidedly make another great decision and leave us a five-star review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we appreciate your support. It helps others find our community and defeat bad decision-making in their own lives for more daily decision-making insights. Check us out at decidedlypodcast.com and on Facebook and Instagram at decidedly podcast. Thanks again for listening. I'm Sanger Smith and this is decidedly.